couple weeks ago, I showed you a picture of a dog that had tore up the Bible. This was this picture right here, and my friend posted that his dog, Fossey, had devoured the Word of God. And who knew when the dog might start preaching? Then I said, hey, wouldn't it be great if we got wrist bracelets, you know, wristbands that said, be like Fossey? Well, my friend listened to the podcast of the sermon and decided it would be a great idea to create a wristband that said, be like Fossey. So here they are, be like Fossey wristbands, uh, Fossey, and they are coming to this church in a few weeks. He said there are 40 of them he purchased and created, and I'm supposed to have a contest to see who gets the 40. So we're going to have some really big contest, maybe some like Bible memorization contest. So if you are up for it, memorize the book of Psalms, and if you do, you too can get a wristband, be like Fozzie. All right? Uh, I thought this was really fun. You know why I thought this was fun? Because I didn't expect anyone to take me seriously on the suggestion to create a wristband that said, be like Fozzie. But he, he did the unexpected. And he created them, and now I will get them. You know, this got me thinking about, about life in unexpected times. That is, when things that you didn't expect actually happen. You know, when that unexpected thing happens. Now, stuff like this is really fun. Like, man, someone created a wristband unexpectedly that I had suggested. Well, that was really fun. Like, I like this unexpected moment. But there are also parts of life that are unexpected that we don't like, right? And I imagine we can come up with all kinds of examples of things that happen in your life that are unexpected, and you don't walk away smiling but with a scowl on your face or tears in your eyes, those kind of things, unexpected things in life. Well, today we walk through a story. We walk through a story with Jesus that has many unexpected moments. And they make me a bit frustrated because Jesus is doing the right thing while I would do the opposite. And I don't like Jesus doing the opposite of what I would do. I'd like to think that, that, that I would always do what Jesus would do. But what we'll see in the story today is that Jesus does many unexpected things. So we could look at the grand miracle today. I would rather look at all the unexpected things happening in the details of the story to grab some application for your life and to exalt Jesus. We pick up Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6. We're going to be in verse 30 through 44. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. We're coming off the heels of the story of Jesus sending out his disciples to go preach and cast out demons two by two as he trains his students to do what he is doing. And then we got a story of the death of John the Baptist. And right on the heels of those two stories, we get the feeding of the 5,000. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 through 44. Here's what we read. This is what Mark records. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them 
leaving, recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. Then they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups, hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Many unexpected moments in this story. I see five. I see five. I'm sure there are more. I see five unexpected moments in the story that really challenge me. The first thing I see is that Jesus didn't get angry. Jesus didn't get angry. So here you have the the disciples coming back. They've been on a journey for some time. They've regathered. They're regrouping. And all of a sudden, they're sharing stories, and they find that it's late, and they're tired, and they're hungry. But they've got a lot of people that are surrounding them. Now, if I'm hungry and tired around a lot of people, I'm ready to go home, and I'm ready to be alone, and I'm ready to eat a lot of food. Yet Jesus looks at the people, and he shows them compassion. I'm looking at a group of people that stand between me and my bed with anger. Jesus has compassion. Take a look. I just want you to look at at what I see here, verse 31 and 34. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. Here he is, hungry. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's not what I'm thinking. That's not what I'm thinking when I see the large crowd. I'm thinking, put the boat back in the water and go to the other side. That's what I'm thinking. Or I'm thinking, who do they think they are? Why do they keep coming? But Jesus has compassion. And he sees something that not everyone sees. He sees a group of people, not who are needy and frustrating, but a group who are sheep without a shepherd. This is unexpected. And it gets under my skin because Jesus sees and acts in a way that I wouldn't act. Second thing I see Second thing I see is put this up on the screen is that Jesus didn't stop with teaching. So we the first thing Mark records here is that when the crowd the crowd gathers, Jesus begins to teach them. Begins to teach them. But he doesn't stop with teaching them. Take a look what Mark how Mark records it. We'll pick up verse 34, 35, and then 37. Just take an excerpt here. So he began teaching them many things. 
By this time, it was late in the day. Then he said, you give them something to eat. What the disciples want to do? Send them away. Hey, it's late in the day. Send them back to the villages, and they can go buy themselves something to eat. This is the way I think all of us would think. But Jesus looks at them and says, we need to feed them. So I read this, I read this story to one of my kids this week, uh, last week, and I said, man, I wouldn't have fed them. They are the ones that decided to come out. They are the ones that decided to stay long. It's their responsibility now to go back to the villages and get themselves something to eat. This is a problem they created. They can solve their problem on their own. And they'll be okay if they go without food for another 12 hours. They won't die. And this one particular son of mine said, yeah, you would have just taught them and send them away because teaching's easy for you. I thought, oh my. Because to feed them would have taken investment. It would have, it would have required going above and beyond. It would have cost me something to feed them. Easier just to teach them and go about my business. But Jesus... He goes above and beyond, and he feeds them. He goes beyond teaching. That's interesting. Unexpected, unexpected. Definitely not what I would do. Take a look at this third thing I see. Jesus didn't complain about the little they had. You know how, many, you, you know how, much, you know how much they found in the crowd. Five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, you hand me five loaves of bread and two fish... In a crowd of 5,000 men, which would have been more with the women and children, I'm, I'm saying we need more. I have a complaint on the tip of my tongue ready to go. And depending on how tired and hungry I am, there may be an improper word coming out of my mouth. I'm a sinner and need Jesus, okay? That's what that was. That was a little confession. You get that. Okay, I got an amen from an elder. feel like it's okay then. It's okay. Got another one. Got a second. Got a second. All in favor. We'll pass a motion right now. Um, so so, so what I, what, what, what's happening is Jesus sees a glass half empty, and he says, thank you. When I see glasses half empty, I say, give me more. That's my default position. So for Jesus to receive five loaves of bread and two fish and to, and to move from there into gratitude is unexpected. Let me just make sure we see this in the text. If we see verse 40 and 41, here's what Mark records. So the people sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and then taking five loaves and two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. He gives thanks for the little. I am not positioned in my character yet to naturally give thanks for a little. I want a lot, then I'll give thanks. Let's go with the fourth thing I see that's unexpected. Jesus didn't do it alone. So when, when the rubber hits the road and the situation is, is, got, is, is bleak or needs a real leader, I'm ready just to take charge and do it. Like, do it by myself and just get the job done. That's kind of my position. And if I was someone who had access to the power of the universe, 
like He-Man, I'm ready to do it all by myself, no questions asked. And this is the position we find Jesus. Here's a man who has access to the power of the universe, yet he distributes the responsibility, he gives it away so that his disciples can do the work. Remember, the text says that the disciples are the ones who are called to sit them, sit them down in the grass in 50s and 100s. Jesus gives the disciples the bread to hand out. Now, they go to Jesus, and then they go back out to the people. But the, the young and old men, the children and the women, the person they see handing them the bread is the disciples. Look, Mark records it this way. We'll take a look here. If 37, 38, 41. He tells them, he answered them, you give them something to eat. That's a giving away of responsibility. And then he says, how many loaves do you have? And he asked, go and see. So he sent them out to go see how many they had. And then he gave them, that is the bread and the fish, to his disciples to distribute to the people. Remember, we're just off the heels, on the heels of a story of Jesus sending out his disciples two by two, remember? And that they were to go preach the good news. They were to cast out demons. Jesus is training them in the way of the kingdom. And the way you train a young apprentice is to get them to go do the work themselves. And so Jesus doesn't just tell them, hey, I'm going to have a lot of food right here in my hands. Come send the people to me. He keeps training them as you would expect a master craftsman to train an apprentice. He has them do the work themselves. He is giving away responsibility to go do the work of this miracle. This is unexpected. If I had the power Jesus had, I'd just do it myself. And you get a little more fame that way. But here Jesus gives away the responsibility. The last unexpected thing. Take a look at the last unexpected thing. Jesus didn't do the minimum. So if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if, I'm, handing, if I'm handing out food to, to at least 5,000 people, I'm giving them a bag of chips, a cookie, a small bottle of water, and a chicken sandwich. I'm putting it in a box and giving it to you. And if you want seconds, I'm so sorry, that's all we have today. I'm going to do the minimum. That's how you feed big crowds of people. That's how they do it at every conference I've ever been at. They give you a Chick-fil-A box. That's what they do. And then you get your bag of chips, you get your chicken sandwich, you get your cookie, and you get your small bottle of water. And that's what you get. I would do the minimum. But Jesus goes well beyond the minimum. Take a look how Mark records it. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. You just pick up like one, one, one thing of, of extra fish and bread. 12 baskets full. 12. 12 baskets. I've never been satisfied with a Chick-fil-A box. Just so everyone's clear. Never. I'm the one going back looking for the second and third box. But Jesus... Jesus goes beyond the minimum. This is unexpected. This is unexpected. So it kind of leads me to a place, when I look at these five unexpected things, it leads me to a place to ask this question. What kind of mindset and experience did Jesus have to think 
that the world was set up for this kind of abundance. What kind of world did Jesus live in to think that there could be this kind of overflow in a moment like this? Now, I know we could say, well, he was Jesus. So, like, if you're Jesus, you're, you just think up new things. I don't think this is just a matter of Jesus being Jesus. I think Jesus carried into that moment a particular mindset and an experience with the kingdom of God that brought him to overflow with abundance on that day. I think he had been nurtured in the Old Testament scriptures where he read about and memorized the stories and the songs of abundance that God gave his people. Now, there are many, many, many examples to choose from. I just want to pick one. Let me just pick one. Psalm 104. I think this is a psalm Jesus would have been singing in his childhood. Here's what Psalm 04. I'm just, just pulling a few verses out of this. The lions roar for, for their prey and seek their food from God. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When, they, when you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you send out your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. Jesus lived in a world of abundance in God's kingdom. When Jesus looked out, out at the natural world, he saw a world that God was taking care of. I look at the world and I see scarcity. See, I carry with me a scarcity mindset. You see, I think the way that you, the way that you are satisfied is by grabbing, hoarding, taking, storing up. These are the things that I view as the way to life. Is you take, you hoard. Because there's only so much in this world, and you better grab it. But for Jesus, in his Father's kingdom, it was a world overflowing with abundance. And he had been trained with those stories, not only as the Son of God, but even as a little boy going to synagogue, about all those examples of how God had enriched this world with abundance. And so when Jesus begins to start teaching in his public ministry, he starts picking up these examples and he starts talking about an abundant world in the Father's kingdom. For example, Matthew chapter 6, he says things like this that sounds so crazy, but just might be true. Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 and 33. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all the splendor was dressed like one of these. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry. saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But, ask first, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus carried inside his mind and lived experience an abundant 
mindset. He carried with him an abundant mindset, a mindset of abundance. For him, you can't outdo God on generosity. And so this, this brings us to a principle, a principle, some insight. So these next three slides take everything we've said and condense it into three sentences. Take a look. This first one, Jesus gave. I want us to see this. I want us to see that this is not Jesus taking. He's giving. He gave compassion, more than enough food, responsibility, and thanks. We want to give complaints and anger. We want to distribute frustration. We want to hoard in our scarcity mindset. But Jesus gives. Jesus gives. This is why, if we had to summarize, I think it's because of this. Jesus, let's go to this next slide. Jesus lived in the abundance of God's kingdom, and he gave it away for the good of others. He gave it away for the good of others. So if we had to, if we had to pull that down to one principle, it would be this. This is the principle. An unexpected principle, I think. You cannot find life by taking it. You find life by giving it away. You give it away. That makes no sense. I know my savings account doesn't work like this. There's no bank in America that works like this. You do not make money by giving away, by giving it away. You just, that's not how the world works. But in the kingdom of God that is overflowing with abundance, the way you gain your life is by losing it. And it isn't it something that in just a couple chapters, as we continue to move in the story of Mark, Jesus will make it a point multiple times to tell his disciples this very thing. Take a look. We're going to just put up Mark at this, at, as the heading here, and I just want to look at three passages. They're going to go back to back to back in the next several chapters. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, Jesus says, Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. Ah. Chapter 9, verse 35. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. And then chapter 10, verse 44 through 45. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is an unexpected teaching. But this is the way the kingdom of God works. It's backwards. You find life by giving it away. And so what we see is that Jesus, in a moment where we would see scarcity, he pushed abundance. He gave it away. So let's make some application. Like, let's pull that down to something that we can work with right where we live. Let's start with this. Just a couple questions. Are we like Jesus who gives out of his abundance? Or are we like the disciples who want to hold back and push away? Mm. I default to pushing away. That's where I default. And I like hoarding. So I've been asking myself some questions this week. And these have been getting under my skin. So I thought, well, maybe if they're getting under my skin, maybe they'll get under your skin. So I figure, why not share them as a blessing? 
give away. I'm giving away to you something that may annoy you. Here we go. Here are some questions I've been asking myself. Do I default to anger when someone acts less than smart in my life? Or do I give away compassion? Now, there's another way of saying acts less than smart. That's just my Christian way of saying it on a Sunday morning. But we have other ways of talking about that, right? I'm telling you, I, I am much quicker to give, I am quick to give away anger. It's a lot harder for me to give away compassion. So sometimes I'm, talk, I'm, I'm asking myself, where am I defaulting? How am I defaulting when people act silly in life? Let's go to another one I've been asking myself. Um, obviously, I, I am really wanting to emphasize this because I have uh, grammatically messed the sentence up. Uh, do I do? Okay. Uh, this is for emphasis, so you would always remember it. Uh, here's the question. Do I do the... Do I do... No, it is. It is correct. It is correct. Okay. Trust my instincts on this one. Do I do the bare minimum to give the appearance of loving others, or do I give generously without being asked? Oh, I can be generous, and I can place my generosity well. Do the, just do just enough to make it look like I really love you. But I know inside that I needed to be asked for it, or I knew there was an unstated expectation, or there was a very direct expectation stated. But I'm looking for those moments in my life where I might be giving generously without being asked. I'm really thinking about this. Because if I'm doing the bare minimum to appear to be loving, that's not loving at all. That would be called manipulation. Take another, uh, here's another question I'm asking. Do I look at the glass half empty and say, give me more? Or do I say thank you? This one probably just sits, just needs to just sit there. Because I am really good at asking for more. And yet Jesus would call us to say thank you. Lifting up five loaves and two fish and saying thanks. Another question I'm asking myself is this. This is this last one I've been asking myself. Do I think an abundant world is too good to be true? So I look at around our world and I say, I, you know, Jesus, I get it. I get it. I know, I know you had a lot to say about the grass and about the birds, but I don't know. I don't look at the world. I don't, I don't know that the world's that abundant. I don't know that it's overflowing that much. I don't know that the world you talked about is real. It seems to be a little too good to be true. See, I don't think people, people don't like what Jesus said because they wouldn't want it. I think they often reject it because it really does seem to be too good to be true. And yet, to be a student of Jesus is to walk in confidence that the world he talked about actually exists. Even when you're facing death, you can be confident that you will live. And you will live forever. And it will be a really good life forever and ever and ever. Now, your body may not make it through, but your spirit and a new body will be right along, right along the way soon enough. You see, I just wonder... Do we really believe that the abundant life is too good to be true? That's probably what I struggle with most. 
But I'm ready to say that Jesus knew what he was talking about. And so I'm ready to confidently follow him into that kingdom and to experience the kind of abundance that he promised. Now and forever and forever. And sometimes we might need the long view to get what he was talking about. So let's pull this to a next step. Let's take this down to a next step. Something you can do this week. Surprise someone with generosity this week and watch God multiply it. So a next step is always something that you and I can do to train to be more like him. This in and of itself doesn't save you. This doesn't make you more holy than everyone else. It is a way of training. It's like homework. And so surprise someone with generosity. Do the unexpected, surprise them, and watch God multiply it. Now, I have no idea what multiply it means in your context. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. I don't think this means write a really big check to your pastor and, and you're going to see it double in your bank account. That's not what I'm saying. I think you just need to write the big check to your pastor. Uh, and, and I think that's just, I think that's, I think that's one next step here. Uh, um, again, I'm giving away some sarcasm, by the way. I think that's only right here. If you don't see that, um, there's a really good church just down the street where they don't do that as much. Um, so surprise someone with generosity. There's someone, there's a way, there's someone in your life, there's some way of surprising someone with some generosity this week. Do the unexpected. And God will use that in a way you, you may not see or you may see, but he will multiply generosity. Now, that's a next step you can take right where you are, and it has application for every one of you. But there's also something we can do right here as a church and in this community I want to tell you about. And it just so happens that this next step falls right in line with the feeding of the 5,000. And it just so happens that on December 14th, we are in partnership with other people in this community, the school system, Kareem Martin with the New York Giants, and other community partners to pack 5,000 dried good meals that can be distributed throughout the school system in backpacks to help those, those students in need. And I want to invite you into a story of generosity on December 14th. But rather than me just tell you all about it, I want you to watch one story, one story of how that affected this family. Take a look. first moved to Northern Virginia, we didn't realize that we were moving to the most affluent region in America. And yet it didn't take very long to realize that there are over 64,000 children here who struggle with hunger. Uh, these children live in our neighborhoods, they attend our schools, our children know them, they're their classmates. And in many of these situations, it's a single mom that is trying to make ends meet, working several jobs, and yet she has five children living in her home. This is Hannah, and I have 
four other children that I'm caring for. Um, I live with the children's aunt and I guess we just work together to raise the children and take care of everything. We've met a lot of families like this one. Many of these families, their children don't know where their next meal is coming from. As a father, this deeply moves me. We've learned that the lack of nutrition has lasting effects on these children's lives. The thing that strikes us as professional educators is we see kids coming through our door and they bring a lot of different types of vulnerabilities. For many, it's lack of access to food that they need. The pain could last for 24 hours. Taking away food insecurity is an enormous factor that allows kids who really need to have formative experiences in school. Sometimes they, I think they need help with like staying focused and stuff like doing their homework and things like that. We found that we can change a child's life simply by providing them a meal. And this ends what is often a generational cycle of poverty. The Friday afternoon backpack. This is the gateway to getting children the food they need to sustain them over the weekend. Oh, well, like, they get very excited. You know, they all tear up in the back. I have to usually like intervene and make sure it's fair and stuff and everybody's sharing. But it, it, they mean everything they have, they, they all like it. I've been getting them for a while. It means a lot to me that somebody would go out of their way to try to help supplement, you know, food for my children. Helping children break the cycle of poverty is the heartbeat of what we do. We've seen these meals unlock the potential in children locally and across America. In fact, our volunteers have packaged over a half million meals to feed children in their own community. I think the most important thing that Generosity Feeds contributes here is this opportunity to reach entire families through a generation. I do this because I want to inspire and mobilize entire communities around the country to realize that there is a very real need among children in their community who struggle with hunger and then help them expand their generosity to offer these children hope. We get to be part of a story like that in our community on December 14th in the partnerships that we have created. On December 14th, for two hours at Manning Elementary, we will pack 10,000 meals. Every pack of food of this rice and bean vegetable mix is two meals. And so we will pack 5,000 of these. And we will do it together with other people in our community. And we will have an impact for, on families like this right here in our community. We're already doing this as we send food over to Challenger Middle School, and that food is put in backpacks for over 65 students every weekend. We get to be a part of that story. And now we get to be part of a story even larger than that right here in our community. Now, you could look at a story like that, this family, and judge how they might spend every penny of their, of their income and say, if they didn't have this, they could buy this. Well, you know what I don't see Jesus doing 
in the story of the feeding of the 5,000, judging why they didn't have food. He just fed them. And so we will follow Jesus and be generous. So if you want to be part of that, and I think we will as a church, you can sign up a couple ways. You can go to Roanoke Rapids Feeds, roanokerapidsfeeds.org, and you can sign up. You can go uh, also to our Facebook page and sign up through the event. If you don't have either one of those and you're like, I want to help pack, then you just tell me and we'll get you signed up, okay? This is a way we can help our community. There's a 200, volu- 200 volunteers are needed for this event. Um, it's going to fill up quick. So get on, get on board quick for this. This is one way. One way we can surprise a community with generosity. And we can change the math of child hunger right here where we're at. And in all of it, we will exalt Jesus because we'll become more like him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for the example of Jesus who lived in the abundance of your kingdom. He was God in flesh. He is our king. He is Lord and he is Savior. And we as his students follow him. Help us in that direction. And help us to surprise people in our lives, even this week, with generosity. We ask you multiply it. And you give all the glory to Jesus. Forgive us for our sins. We sure do need it. Under his name and in his authority, we pray. Amen. Amen.